This is Many Lamps in the Room, a podcast by and for New City Church in Vienna, Virginia. This week we're starting the first of a two-part discussion on the environments and mindsets that youth must contend with today. Before we get to that, however, part of our Sunday liturgy includes a question from the New City Catechism, and we'd like to begin each episode with some thoughts about how we can follow up on that question throughout the week in family conversations. Question four. How and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. What we can focus on here really is the the last part of this answer, which is we were created by God and we should live to his glory. And I think in today's society as people are living for their own glory rather than Mm. God's. And so the focus has shifted. Mm. Parents' roles are to guide their children, to teach them about God and who he is and what he has done over and over again. And it's, I think, very appropriate even for this week's discussion that we will be having that a lot of that responsibility that parents should have have been given to other entities and organizations Mm. or people. And so no longer are the voices of parents the loudest ones in their children's lives, but it's their peers, it's society, or it's even their own voices and their feelings. And so it's not to undermine feelings and emotions, but when we're talking about something as important as this, it's to understand that we were made in God's image male and female and then the again focusing on the fact that it's all for the glory of god instead of man yeah i think this is interesting actually kind of very pertinent for the discussion when you ask the world what is my purpose their answer is kind of whatever you want your purpose to be you get to pick it and so i think it's i think it's helpful that one of the things that this question outlines and especially one of the things that the bible emphasizes Mm. is that god is the director of our lives and of our future that's not our call to make and god just is going to have to deal with it like we sometimes think but rather it's a challenge to us to orient our lives around god i think this is the kind of discussion that often is fruitful when you're actually consuming media together as a family Mm. That when you're discussing books or movies or you're watching things together, it's often a good question to ask, what's the highest good here? What is seen to be as the best thing that a person can do for himself or herself? Yeah. Like being true to yourself, following your heart or, you know, achieving your potential, right? That potential being, you know, within yourself. (laughs) But then to say, well, that's, but that's actually not what the Bible says. Right. Yeah, that the that the Bible says that no, actually, the greatest good and the highest purpose would be actually submitting yourself to elevate God's glory and to glorify God as much as possible, not to glorify yourself. And the Bible is distinctly countercultural because it pushes against that right. in 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 ways that ultimately are good for us. Like it's not good for us as humans to have it where. There is no bounds on our life. We do whatever the heck we want. It's it's not good for us as humans. Our our highest purpose is to well to flip catechisms to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah.
I've been trying to be more directed towards that in kind of how I teach and how I kind of disciple the kids, where the emphasis is not just on like, let me give you the apologetic arguments or something like that, or let me convince you of the truth of Christianity. It's much more like, let me try and show you that the problems that you are facing, Christianity addresses better than anything else. We've been planning and, and thinking about having a discussion about the philosophy of ministry that we have for the different family ministries, how we reach our youth and, and what sort of approach that we have to reaching our youth. And really the starting point for that is to actually think about where is our youth coming from? What is the world that they're living in? What is the perspective that they're growing up with? And to be empathetic about what they're dealing with now before we can then start to think about how we can tailor our outreach to them. And so that's kind of where we're starting today. And we have today a guest with us, John Huff, as we know, is the head of student ministry for the older youth in our church. And so I wanted to actually start with John. What do you feel like kids are dealing with these days that might be unique to them versus previous generations. I was just speaking actually with, I think just a couple weeks ago, I was talking with one of the students after Sunday school and they were basically just saying like, man, it is it is hard to grow up right now. It's mm. hard to be a kid in this period of time. Mm. I think so. They themselves recognize that. Yeah, but, but just thinking about it, like, so for me, for example, 28, when I was growing up, Computers were a thing. Cell phones were just becoming a thing, but they weren't really smartphones. Social media was becoming a thing when I was in like high school-ish. And and so for me growing up, I feel like I, I didn't actually, though those things existed, I didn't really deal with them in any sort of heavy manner. Hmm. And so I think kind of one of the first things is sort of the amount of things that kids are exposed to is is much greater today than it ever was previously Mm. especially high schoolers but sometimes middle schoolers and even younger will have smartphones of their own and computers of their own and so i think there's first of all this sense in which they can sort of access anything for good or for bad and that itself presents a bunch of challenges second of all i think i think in terms of like a lot of the things that are being discussed today a lot of them are like placed especially on kids to to work through. So you think of a lot of the questions of kind of sexuality and gender and all of, all of these sort of things I think are especially weighty for kids to deal with. And that's that's definitely been something that I've seen kids in our own ministry mm. kind of wrestle with mm. where they themselves are unsure what to think and are unsure like, okay, so my friends tell me this, but my church tells me this, and my friends say this is what my church is actually saying. What do I believe? Mm. So there's a lot of kind of mystery and difficulty there. I think what's striking here is, as you know, John was kind of sharing, the struggles that, that teenagers have. When I was younger, it was really isolation. Mm. You're yeah. left alone. I remember growing up, it was normal. Most of my peers, it was, you know, the dual income family was rising. Because before it was really one parent was working, one parent is at home. 
But then yeah. as I was growing up, there were more dual income families. Both parents are outside of the house and kids are coming home from school to no one. Um, and more and more of that was happening. And, and I was like that too. And the more I hear about people my age or older, it was kind of a, a shared experience. Yeah. Isolation from adults specifically and their parents. But then I think about now, you know, teenagers are not isolated in the sense that they have access to social media. They can interact with each other far more than I could have when I was a kid. There were no cell phones. There was just a landline that you have to call, but they can instantly talk to anyone they want from across the world. Mm. And yet they're still isolated. Yeah. But the isolation, it, it feels different than what we went through. Oh, yeah. it, to me, it's, it seems like it's a little bit more like alienation than mm. it is isolation. Mm. That living, having a virtual existence that's on social media, you know, that's, I feel like... Multiplayer video games, that's... Big. Yeah, it's not really a, a human connection contact mm. that they're often having. Right. And even if they're in school and surrounded by people, they will pull out their phones and talk to yeah. text each other. Yeah, you know? yeah no joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. And so there is this kind of constant intermediary between you and the way you negotiate with everybody else. Mm. And so there, it does make you feel very lonely, I think. Yeah. You know, it does make you feel very much cut off in some fundamental yeah. way. Strangely, because, you know, because of the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, there's probably more. There's and they, you know, they can ones. share their opinions, <laughs> they can share their thoughts. They're constantly communicating, and yet that sense of loneliness is ever present. Mm -hmm. No matter who they're talking to or communicating to or listening to. In some ways, I don't think they have a chance to be vulnerable. Hmm. Because they understand the social dangers of being too vulnerable. Mm. They're taught all the time these days that you could be the victim of cyberbullying. People can use information against you. Mm. Yeah. And there's also kind of a sense that they have to project a certain image of themselves yeah. to other people, especially to their peers, that they've that they've got to present their best self always. And because they've gotten so sophisticated at this. I think earlier on, we could sort of, it was a sort of more innocent time when Facebook was sort of first sort of coming yeah. out and stuff where people were just like, oh yeah, I can just like share my life. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think kids feel that way anymore. Yeah. I feel that it's a much more managed kind of communication that they're constantly putting mm. out. And they're, as they're, they're really thinking about what is this text saying about me uh, yeah. and communicating to that other person? What do I want to get out of this? Mm. And so on. And, it's, and I feel like they're often really racking their brains and really stressed out, actually, yeah. over these interactions. You see a lot in the media about kind of like people being canceled mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I think sometimes kids will have kind of this fear of being on the wrong side mm -hmm. of of something. Obviously right now kind of pride, LGBTQ stuff, that is that is a, a huge issue mm -hmm. in society right now. And so when the church says maybe something that is not as supportive as as the culture would would like, the kids suddenly feel this like, ooh, like am I going to get kind of 
axed by my friends because yeah. because I hold a different opinion. I think right. in some ways the kind of the social or the the virtual world of social media and platforms like that are almost more real in the kid's mind than the actual world they're in. Mm. And so there can be this fear of like, how will I look or how will I appear on this platform? And that almost becomes more important than how will I look or how will I appear in the room I'm sitting yeah. in right now. Well, I would say that kids have always been obsessed with their reputation, mm. have always been obsessed with their social standing. And if you are now trying to negotiate all this in a virtual space 24-7 mm. that you don't ever get a break from, mm. right? That's escalated things already. Yeah. But then now if you're also in a society that's extremely polarized mm. yeah. and oftentimes people lump church and evangelicals with, you know, a certain reductive category right. of political views and stereotypes and so on. And I can I can imagine how kids might want to not necessarily embrace that yeah. <laughs> and not necessarily, in a sense, come out mm. to their friends yeah. as being churchgoers mm -hmm. or Christians. Yeah. Because right. that will inevitably raise some eyebrows, mm. maybe put them on a defensive and mm. they might not feel like they have the, for want of a better word, apologetics right. to defend themselves. Yeah. Um, not necessarily about like apologetics for their faith, but apologetics just for their identity as yeah. a Christian. That's really flipped since I was a kid. You yeah. know, being a Christian wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but now it it is like if you're a Christian, oh, like that means you are narrow-minded, you yeah. you know, right? Yeah, blah blah blah. And then and and it's not just. I would say that that would be difficult even for a committed Christian mm. to take a strong oh, yeah. stance on your position, beliefs, and presentation. Right. But if you're a kid who hasn't even made up his mind yet, yeah, who's still negotiating all this and trying to figure out what is the truth what do i believe who am i mm -hmm. i you know now you're now it's got to be exponentially difficult for you mm. you know one of the one of the things i i have been thinking about for a couple of years now while working in youth ministry is so so when i was when i was younger kind of and i think partly just maybe where i was from or how i was raised kind of the emphasis was always in youth ministry was always sort of on apologetics basically like see christianity makes sense yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. christianity fits with the world you're trying to argue in that sense you are sort of trying to prove christianity and then encourage them to go out and do the same mm. one of the things i think well actually part of the reason i was thinking about this is so tim keller has a book called the reason for god mm. it's a pretty well-known book it's sort of like a mere christianity type book where he basically is arguing for christianity but what keller sort of realized at some point was that the book was effective for some people, but it was not for others. And part of the reason for that was because the book assumed you cared about things mm. like what is the truth? Mm. Where did I come from? Mm. That sort of thing. It assumed you wanted the answers to these questions. Mm. When in actuality, many people do not care. Mm -hmm. They're not asking these questions. They are not concerned mm. with these, you know, grand existential questions. And so I think he wrote, I think it might be called Making Sense of God. He wrote another book which was trying to answer that earlier question. Mm. But I think that is where a lot of students are at these days. Mm. You're, it's not so much like, ah, just the, the, you know, 
the argument for evolution is just too strong for me to be a Christian. You know, it's not like that. More often than not, it is just like, yeah, my parents take me to church. I just don't care about this stuff. Mm, this stuff is not... difference. Yeah, this stuff doesn't matter to me. In my kind of order of importance, this just doesn't matter. And mm. even if you tell me, well, like, well, when you die, like, don't you want to go to heaven? You know, they'll be like, I'm not going to die anytime soon, mm. probably. I don't need to be worried about this sort of thing. And so I this has been something I've just been sort of thinking about and working through in my mind because I've been trying to be more directed towards that in kind of how I teach and how I kind of disciple the kids, where the emphasis is not just on like, let me give you the apologetic arguments or something like that, or let me convince you of the truth of Christianity. It's much more like, let me try and show you that the problems that you are facing, Christianity addresses better than anything else. Mm -hmm. And so it will help you to be a Christian. You will benefit from giving your life to Christ, which is not necessarily the like kind of full-orbed gospel picture that you would want everyone to have, sort of this kind of like selfish approach to the gospel. But at the same time, I think it's important to see the the questions and the things that students are wrestling with right now. Mm. The sense that, you know, this church doesn't really matter and I don't need to mess with this stuff. I I just want to spend time with my friends. Mm -hmm. I just want to just I don't know, I want to play a few more hours of, I don't know, Minecraft with with my buddies, something like that. I think I think bringing the gospel to bear on on the specific things that students are wrestling with is important. And I think one of the main things they're wrestling with right now is the sense in which basically nothing really matters. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. Let's take a quick break and have Mark remind you about one or two things going on in the life of our church. So for student ministries, we don't have any major events on the horizon because we just had our big King's Dominion trip just a week or so ago. But we do have a lot of regular events we have every month that I would encourage any and all students to come out to. So we do a we do a Friday night youth group on the first and third Friday of every month. We do a lunch together at the first Sunday of every month right after second service. We're also working on doing a senior high night as well. So contact me if you're interested in joining for that. But yeah, we're always sprinkling in little events here and there. We're doing the communicants class every Sunday during second service. So we always have lots of stuff going on. I do think that is a there is a kind of cloud of pessimism that Mm -hmm. i see in this generation yeah there's a real sort of sense of resignation about the state of the world yeah do you think tom or john that's because now more than ever those values and those foundational things that most people just kind of breathed in has been eroded where now the the air they're breathing is not a Christian air, but it is slowly more and more godless. And, you know, where once God gave value and reason for everything, mm. right? Like when people think about why do other people's lives matter? Mm. You know, why is, you know, violence bad? Why, you know, when they talk about moral things, they may not understand where it has come from, mm. but a lot of the times it is Christian principles and ideas and morals. But now because that has been thrown out, now I think, yeah, slowly things are coming in where it's true. If if we are just mere atoms, 
there is no creator. And we're just, everything is just by coincidence, by chance. Nothing matters. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's a kind of Nietzschean nihilism mm. that's mm. in the air. But I, I actually see that as a positive in some respects, mm. yeah. in the sense that we're no longer propped up by forms of cultural Christianity or institutional illusions that let us sort of believe that things are better than they actually are. Yeah. In some ways, the kids these days are actually, in many ways, much more clear-eyed about the state of the world mm. than, than kids have been in the past, which is, I think, good in, in terms of clarity, but bad in terms of the burden that mm. they now you know, carry around with them. You know, they see institutions being challenged left and right. Mm -hmm. They see climate change, pandemics. Yeah. These, you know, problems that clearly civilization is not a capable of coping with. Mm. You know, that science is failing them, that societies are failing them, that ideologies are failing them. They're realizing that everything is shifting sand. Mm. But what we haven't provided them is hope. Yeah, that's I I would I would totally agree with that. When I think about my own family, kind of the more extended family, older cousins, aunts and uncles, stuff like that. One of the things that oftentimes we have struggled with is is just this super nominal Christianity, where there's a sense in which, well, I'm going to go to church because I'm supposed to. So you go to church occasionally, and that gives you this false sense of security mm -hmm. that you're like. I've, I've got my bases covered. I think that is starting to wear off a little bit. And Tom, like you said, I think what we're starting to face is kids are sort of facing the the kind of bare wasteland of purposelessness. And there's not this sort of nominal Christian facade built up. They sort of feel the full force of that. And the issue is just how can we show them that the gospel is the solid rock that they can rely on mm -hmm. and rest upon and trust in as the truth and not as some purposeless world? To be clear, I don't think that all Gen Zers out there are like super philosophically minded yes. yeah. and have like <laughs> clear convictions along these lines. But I do think that there's a general sense among them that there's a there's a real tenuousness to their reality that they can't really I do feel like they feel unmoored somehow that yeah. like even in movies, all the movies that they watch is filled with CGI, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's very little for them that actually feels like real. Yeah and authentic and tangible mm -hmm. and concrete because everything is virtual really yeah. for them on some level and they're in this like post postmodern world and they might not describe it like that they might not understand it like that but there's that feeling around yeah. them that it's that it's all just a house of cards mm -hmm. you know yeah an idea that pastor paul has said and and not only him but many have have talked about is you know, but the actual dangerous thing is, is sometimes the nominal Christians versus yeah. the people that outright reject it. Because at least with them, you can have a clear conversation with them of what they believe and what they don't. Whereas with yeah. nominal Christians, they assume things that they might believe but actually don't believe. And mm -hmm. so they find themselves actually in deeper water than they think. But that being said, there's still this kind of 
chasm that we have to go over. And, and yes, it's not just a rational discussion that I'm going to have with you, because that's another thing. We assume we operate based off of logic yeah. and reasoning and being rational. But yeah. most of us, even the ones that think are very logical and rational, that's not how we adopt ideas. That's not how we actually live and functionally build relationships. My recommendation is really in line with this whole discussion. It's a book that I read recently. I kind of want to get a copy because I want to actually read it a little bit more carefully. It's not a faith-based book. It's a book that I checked out from the library called You've Been Played by, I believe the author's name is Adrian Han. Ho or Han. He, was, he himself is a game designer. And so he has insight into the industry and what are the principles and tactics of gamification. Oh, and, that's interesting. And what he argues is that our entire society is now using these tactics yeah. of gamification mm -hmm. to try to manipulate our behavior and influence us in all sorts of ways at all sorts of levels right. and often in very unethical ways without really thinking about what are the appropriate uses for these stratagems. And I do feel like, you know, oftentimes kids, what they are consumed by moment by moment is how to get good at the game they're playing. Whether that game is academics or whether that game is, you know, social acceptance. Yeah. Or whether that game is an eventual career, entrepreneurship. You know, I think they really think in terms of like, how do I level up? How do I get the as many points as possible? How do I get, you know... How do I stand out? How do I get on the leaderboard? <laughs> right. Yeah. And what... The thing that really topped it for me into like saying, I really need to make this a recommendation for this week's discussion is that towards the end of the book, he has a chapter that talks about the Reformation. Oh. And he talks about how the selling of indulgences mm. was a kind of gamification of religion, mm. right? And that the Reformation was actually a rebellion against that, right? Mm. And... So in, in, in celebration of Reformation Day, you know, I do feel like Christianity is so countercultural, radically countercultural, because it really tells us that we don't have to play the game that everybody else is mm. playing. We don't have to be manipulated in these ways. We have a purpose yeah. that doesn't have to do with all the things that we're constantly being gerbled into. Right. Yeah. Sounds like a really fun book. I kind of want to read it. Yeah. Sorry to... You've been played! Yeah. We pray our discussion was edifying to you, and we'd love to hear any feedback. Mark's email is mark at newcityva.org. Stephen Price provided the music, and you can find more of it at almadogma.bandcamp.com. That's A-L-M-A-D-O-G-M-A.bandcamp.com. We're recording on equipment generously donated by Sonny Kim, and you can find out more about our church at newcityva.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, watch those windows.
not every kid is not like i really want to be like this guy on tiktok mr beast yeah tom tom's on tiktok everyone if you <laughs> it, mr beast <laughs> but yeah i want to be like mr beast 